Welcome to another Impact Tonight. An Impact Desk Kitchen Leadership. This is episode 76. I'm your host, ID3 Fires. On third tonight's panelists are Delna Bryan and Yasin Portas. Miss Delna Bryan, please say hello to the people. Good evening, one and all. This is Delna Bryan. I teach at Young Men Leadership Academy in Dallas, ISD. And I am having an exciting year, even though we are going through a pandemic. And Mr. Yasin Puertas, please say hello to the people. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Yasin Puertas. I'm originally, originally from Spain. I came here back in 2005, uh, participating in a teacher visiting, you know, international teacher visiting program. And uh, I went back to Spain and then came back here. I participated in politics um, regarding education in my own country. I am from a city that it's uh, half of the population have a totally different native language. So now that I'm here in Houston, participating in the bilingual uh, program at a second grade level, just you know this year but i've been you know in fifth grade uh third grade uh in a title one public school i kind of have like a, a a perspective on how things are different here in this country so hopefully uh, i will be able to talk to you guys about this awesome awesome awesomeness well tonight's topic is universal education system the universal education system as a species, we have had difficulty finding purpose. Educators and researchers have used many teaching and learning strategies to educate and help teachers understand how adolescents learn effectively. Sociological researchers tell us that a child's development structure can be reflected by role models, evident in churches, recreation centers, schools, and other learning environments to help a child develop a strong support system or even just a significant confidant. John Pidgey offers a theory. He called it the cognitive development theory, which says children progress through multiple developmental stages and approach complex tasks and problem solving in different ways depending on what stage they are in as it relates to their development. Adolescents located in the United States and abroad will need guidance and mentorship to build discipline, to build commitment, and to have those necessary organizational skills moving forward in the universal education system age. Tonight, we're gonna pull first from our panelist, Mr. Yasin Puertas. You already told us a little bit about what you're doing, but kind of tell us a little bit about your experiences uh, in Spain versus America. And, and after you do that, I'm going to ask you the question that we have for you tonight. 
Yeah, so thank you. Well, I mean, first of all, uh, your introduction was amazing, and actually, uh, I was I, I was thinking all the time when when you were talking. This is actually the problem that I see here in the United States that I didn't see outside of the United States, mostly in Europe, of course, because that's my my prior knowledge. And uh, when I was in Spain, and you're absolutely right, you treat the student as an individual. And that is very important when you're, when you are educating, you have to, uh, make sure that you understand the child as he is or she is. The problem in the United States is that we have a standardized testing. So even though all the theories are, are telling you that you have to individualize instruction, um, the universal kind of teaching that you're talking about, it's not compatible with the standardized testing. So that will be the one difference that I, that I just, it shocked me when I came here. The first thing that I learned is that everything needs to be done uh, thinking about the tests that those kids are going to have because not only those tests are going to be testing the student, but those tests are the most important thing in the school system because funding comes from the results of those tests, for example. So that's one of the things that shocked me in this country. You know, and that has been a conversation that we have been talking about for, for years to come, and we have been missing on key things, um, very, very key things uh, as it relates to uh, children's character. Right, uh, as it relates to children's social emotional learning, and that now we are are trying to uh, almost run and gather the broken pieces, the fragmented pieces that have happened uh, for or because of the result of uh, teaching to the test. A lot of people say we have been teaching uh, to the test, and that we're not getting those um, those outcomes that we we need to get to measure up on a universal stage on a national national stage, on the international stage, uh, because uh, there is something missing. There are some gaps uh, that uh, have manifested, have developed uh, in the student life uh, that has not um, been the case traditionally, because traditionally uh, the way that we educated uh, children was more constructive as it, as it relates to the use of time, right, as it relates to um, the, just the community of education as a whole. I believe young people had uh, different opportunities then uh, that they could aspire to become. Uh, a lot of times in low SES environments or demographics, if we're talking demography, we see that, you know, uh, what they deem as a role model or success comes from the, the sports arena right and so uh, like you said uh, we have to we have to start thinking about uh, positive uh, peer influences we got to start thinking about high expectations that's not structured around some type of standardized testing procedure right uh, and we have to start thinking about encouraging uh, our children to do the best even if they don't get the highest score on this standardized test. Uh, I believe we have the STAR test here in Texas, right? So, you know, those are the things that I think will, like you said, 
uh, help encourage the education system here in America and over well, the United States. And then also, uh, I think it will motivate parents even more to get uh, involved. So you would get more parent involvement because, you know, the, the children are are feeling like they're they're really learning different aspects of of history or or math of you know social studies science and english uh you name it but uh that's a perfect segue uh, to our to, to our next guest, uh, she's no stranger to the impact of education leadership. Um, the way she uh, brings in the conversation and makes it relevant and, and gives it structure is just unmatched for me. And uh, with that being said, I want to uh, welcome again the Honorable Miss Delano Bryan. Please say hello to the people and tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently. I am teaching 7th and 8th grade Spanish 2 and pre-AP 3 to all males. It's an all-male school. So therefore, I have to think about the gender that I have, what I might read and discuss when young ladies are in the room Young men are not going to be interested in that. They're interested in more the gory stuff. So I have to reframe my mind for things to read with all boys. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, b b before I ask you this question, I, I want to I go back to Mr. Mr. Portis. And I want to ask him, based off of what Ms. Dona said, what are some ways or how do we level the playing field in the education system for all students? I talked about students coming from different demographics. Right. And your thoughts, with your experience, with a global lens, how do we how do we level the playing field? Well, uh, when when we when you were talking about you know about the things that we can do or we should do in the educational system, I immediately thought about the problem. Um, not the problem is not the standardized testing per se. That's the effect. But the cost is that we don't treat teachers as professionals like teachers are treated in other countries. That's, that's the other thing that when you come here as a teacher, you're told what to do, um, you know, up to the last line. You know, it's literally books say, say, call it. <laughs> you have to say that kids, today we are going to study. Da, 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 da. That's why standardized testing is so important because we don't trust teachers to teach our students. So we need uh, an objective measure of the teaching procedure. We want to see if the teachers are effective. But if you allow the teachers, like for example in Spain, I'm going to give you an example, this is Spain. In Spain the teacher is responsible for the kid's success. Success in life, not only academically, but in life as, as persons. 
So as I told you, if you have all the tools as a teacher and you get into your room and then you have this you know, generation of kids that you have to uh, educate for that year, you can have different goals for different, for different students. You're not going to be pressured by the system to get to a standard point. Your ultimate goal is to make sure that they are successful in life, that they have the tools they need to move forward to the next level. See what I mean? So it doesn't matter the amount of growth, you know, the, the, the grades that they're going to get. It's more a holistic thing. So if the child is able to work in, you know, um, get to the goals that you set for him, you will be successful as a teacher. But nobody is going to tell you what to do. You know what to do because you are a professional. I always put this example. Imagine that you're a doctor and then the director of the hospital is telling you what you have to do or is observing you during a procedure, I don't know, surgery or something, and then tells you, no, you were supposed to do this and this well for the next surgery, I would like to see this other kind of procedure. And then you will have to abide to those standards because you're going to be appraised on those. That would be ridiculous, right? A doctor is a doctor and is supposed to be responsible for his patients and nobody's going to, you know, look over him and say, hey, no, you're not doing this right or you're not supposed to prescribe this or that. Well, with teachers, that happens all the time. That's the problem, that we are not treated as professionals. No, the system doesn't trust us and we are the ones that are doing the actual teaching. And it's a pity that we, that there's something really good happening right now in the United States, or at least here in Texas is, is happening beautifully, which is the alternative certification program. And, and some people are going to say, what, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, let, me, let me explain. In Spain, you cannot become a teacher if you don't have an education uh, bachelor's degree. So you have to have a bachelor's degree in education, in actual education. And then you have to have your master's degree. Right? In here, in the United States, you can become a teacher coming from other fields. Like, for example, myself. I am a journalist. My, my background is as a journalist. I studied audiovisual communication in Madrid, year 99. Then I became a teacher of media in high school. Then I became an elementary teacher here in Texas through an alternative certification program. What I can bring to my classroom Let's say, for example, someone that studies history, someone that is an engineer, they can become teachers in this country. And most people that come from other countries to teach here in the United States in the bilingual program, for example, the people that come from Honduras, Mexico, Colombia, Spain, or, of course, most people come with different backgrounds, but we cannot use those backgrounds to enrich our classrooms because of the constraints of the standardized testing, of the procedures that are in place, of the curriculum that they are forcing you up to, I'm telling you, up to the minute. You have to spend five minutes in this, 10 minutes in that, 15 minutes in that. In elementary, that is happening uh, uh, to a ridiculous point. I, I know that in high school or middle school, maybe it's not that bad. I don't know, maybe Delna can, can tell us about her experience. But in elementary, right now, it's becoming ridiculous to a point that you have to 
you know, follow instructions in a way that the classes need to look the same. Like literally appraisers are going into the classrooms and they want to see exactly the same thing in class A, class B, and class C. <laughs> that is ridiculous when you have totally different teachers that couldn't reach the classroom in a way that the other teacher cannot. So each one of us, like I have a fine arts teacher, she's an expert in that, then there's the historian, there's the engineer, there's me as a journalist, there's the musician. They couldn't reach the classroom and give them an opportunity to those kids. This generation of kids will be exposed to something that will be very universal in that sense, that they will be open to the real world being exposed every day to a person that has a background that can enrich the classroom. But when that person becomes, you know, how I say, you know, like a, a monkey just following instructions, then it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your credentials are. It doesn't really matter how much experience you have. If they give you a scripted, uh, you know, book that is telling you exactly what to do because they want the results to be great and they, they want those proven methods, you know, that, that are proven to be working beautifully in a, a lot of schools and that's the recipe. That's what they want you to do. They don't want you to invent anything else. So that, that will be my, my, my view. Now you're talking. Now you're cooking. We're cooking. We're cooking. We're cooking. We're cooking. I heard a lot in what you said. Yes, and one of the things I want to take away was the tools. Tools are very important. You know, I know you talked about professionalism. I know you talked about the pressures of the education system and just the political system uh, as well. And those responsibilities, right? But I want to talk about the benefits. I want to talk about the recipe that you told us. Because, let's face it, if we don't grab a hold to this thing now, our students won't have a soul. They won't have a soul because we want them to be robotic. We want them to be cookie cutter. They're humanoids. We're human species. The the problem is not the soil. The soul, I'm sorry. The problem is not going to be the soul. The problem is that there's no longer going to be a future in which you are not going to be mobile. Meaning that, well, forget about being only in America. People that only lived in America, this is gonna end. The world is going to become just one. The one world in which you're going to be today, you're gonna be here, tomorrow you're gonna be in Singapore, the next day you're going to be in Sydney because mobility is going to become something very normal. And American society needs to be prepared for that. So new generations need to think globally. And the, the way we are teaching our kids now is not a way that is preparing them for that. It's preparing them for being academically successful in this very um, close universe. But what, imagine one of those students that are finishing high school that they have to go to work in Berlin. He will be lost. But imagine the same student finishing high school in Berlin coming to, I don't know, New York. It will be fine. That's the difference. That's how we have to prepare those students. 
I always say, we as teachers, we have to think uh, in the future, we have to be time travelers. We have to think that we are not going to be teaching them based on our past. We cannot even teach them based in this future, in this present. We have to think ahead. If we teach them how to use a mouse in a computer, we're teaching them something from the past. That's the 80s. We need to teach them how the computers are going to look like in the future. Well, that's the same example. You have to think. Planes are not going to are no longer going to look like the ones that we have right now. In 20 years, in 10 years, whenever they become part of the workforce, they are going to be working in a global society. So they have to be, as you said, intelligent, emotionally intelligent and socially competent. They need to be culturally aware. They need to be able to deal with people from other cultures, other languages, other ways to behave. And they're not. That's, that, that's the whole point. That's why the guy from Berlin will come here and he will not feel like a fish out, out of the water. But the American, it's, it's always like that. You know that. that when, whenever an American goes as a tourist anywhere in the world, it's like, you know, well, I'm in Mars. <laughs> you get out of the United States and you're like totally lost. But then well, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you know, Yasin, first off, let me say this. I, I definitely hear your heart. And I hear your passion. Because, let's face it, what you're talking about is fostering healthy relationships, right? And this is how we're going to support youth to become, shall we say, active partners. But we have to get the community involved locally. We have to get the community involved uh, citywide, statewide, na nationally. And, and this is a perfect segue, I believe, because this conversation is getting good, by the way. <laughs> this is a perfect uh, segue to the next question for Ms. Donna Bryant. But Yassine, thank you for adding value to this podcast. Um, with that being said, uh, Ms. Bryan, my question for you would be then, after this discussion, what roles will politics and educational institutions play in the universal education systems as it relates to their strategies or their models to help them identify students' learning abilities, cognitive abilities, in this new digital society that we are living in now? To be able to identify their cognitive abilities in universal education, we are definitely going to have to think globally. Cognitive skills mean What's my mental capacity? How I acquire knowledge? How I'm going to manipulate this information? How I'm going to reason? How I'm going to plan? How I'm going to problem solve? But the students don't know how to do this. So we have to look across. Dunn said no man is an island. The United States is going to have to sit down and universally look at what is going on 
in China in education? What is going on in Europe? What is going on in other countries? To be able to put together a plan that will meet our needs for all our students. Ben Franklin said, tell me and I will forget. Teach me and I will remember. Involve me and I will learn. We definitely have to involve our students. We have to involve them in every aspect of their learning. First of all, how do they learn? We might have to go back to Howard Gardner and take a page out of his book. What's their learning style? Do they know that? Every now and then, I teach according to my learning style. And I look at my students and say, see, there are two of you or three of you, but I'm not teaching two or three of them. I might have 10 or 12 students in the room. So therefore, I cannot just teach one way to my learning style. Education is not about filling a bucket. It's lightning. It's a lightning. It's a blaze. Look at your students. Their faces will tell you how they feel. Their faces will tell you what they're learning. Can I achieve something by taking away from? Because this is something you have to do. You will have to take a few minutes away from teaching to the test. And you will have to have it in your lesson plans in the United States. It's a must that when they click on and see your lesson plans that you are, no. Explain to your person, your appraiser, that you don't always teach according to that lesson plan. Because you have to teach the whole child. There are 23 different learning styles. How am I going to help them understand how they learn? Are they a visual learner? Are they an auditory learner? Are they a kinesthetic learner? What type of learner are they? Because I want this child to be comfortable in his shoes. I want this child to understand when I go somewhere else because I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. And generally I tell them, tomorrow does not mean Wednesday or the next day, Tuesday. No, I'm talking five years from now. How old are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Ten years from now, how old are you going to be? Where are you going to be? You don't know in this world. You might be somewhere totally different from where you're thinking that you're going to be now. And you need to be prepared. You definitely need to prepare your students 
for meeting that scope of education that they need in a holistic manner. I go back to another Chinese proverbs. You give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. So this is what we have to do. Educate the child that we have, the student, the scholar, whatever you want to call them now. Educate them for the global society that is ever changing. It used to be, okay, I'm going to teach the three R, reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's passé, long ago, that's passé. I need to teach more than that. I need to teach science, and I need to teach the technology that has long surpassed the United States and Europe and in other countries. Some years ago, Finland, yes, and you might remember when Finland turned their education system around. How many teachers here in the United States? Huh? How many, of us were, how many of us were aware that Finland had done such a reform to their educational system? And you touched on it. What did they do? They had their teachers involved in everything, planning what we want our students to do. They started respecting their teachers. They started praising their teachers because we're the ones that teach every other profession. Yet, here, there's a problem with that. We're not respected, we're not valued the same way. Send, I know a group went to Finland. Did every teacher in the United States hear about the findings of what was going on in Finland? I'm sure they did not. Go around your nation. You have 50 states. Send a delegation of different teachers to different countries. In Latin America, in Asia, in Europe, and come back and educate the masses here. You know, you know, Delna, you know, Delna, that, that's, that's funny because that is actually what I was telling you guys at the beginning of the podcast when I said I came here in this country in 2005 participating in an international teacher visiting program, which mm -hmm. is actually what you're saying. We come here to learn the good things about the American system, which, you know, I'm telling you, they're there's a number of things that are really good in here, but then we're supposed to go back to our countries and teach that back. So to bring that knowledge to our countries, like for somebody in my case, my objective was to analyze the bilingual program and, and, and think about how can I implement it in the city I live in. It's called Melilla. It's in the north of Africa. It belongs to Spain, but 
it, it's in the north of Africa, and we have half of the population, they speak a millenary language, it's called Tmezer, it's, it's, it's spoken in the north of Africa. Half the population have that native tongue, and they were thinking already, politicians were thinking already, how can we do something for those students so we can involve them? And then they send teachers out to look for those bilingual programs where they you know, can gather that information and come back with that, like the one in here, because it's, you know, the, 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 the minorities, the Hispanic minorities, and how are we dealing with that fact that we have another language going on, like here in Texas, which, you know, is a huge population here in Texas that have Spanish as an L1. You know, Delna, when, when Delna speaks, her, she has the type of voice that settles you. It is so settling for me, and it, it helps me to, you know, just gather the pieces of, of a conversation and to examine them, right, and see how we can um, involve everyone into the discussion. And it's just a freeness, uh, a freedom uh, in her speaking. Um, I want to thank her. As always, for adding value to the podcast. Now, seeing, I got a question for you because you, you you jumped in at a perfect time uh, because it was time for you to jump in to answer this question. How do you effectively measure learning success for uh, a child that, that you have dealt with as it relates to like technology, and and how do you measure technology or how do you measure education with technology in the mix? Okay, well. First of all, the measure of success, I, I don't know if, you, if I understood the question right, but I believe that you're asking, how do you measure success in a child without standardized tests? That's what you mean? Or Yeah, okay, that, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Because that's, that's, that's one of the questions that I get every day when I, of course I am a, a, an advocate for non-standardized tests, right? Because I come from other system and that is the whole point when I tell them okay you're a teacher right so are you able to tell if a student is ready for the next grade level after seven eight hours a day Monday through Friday for an entire year or is it uh, more able to tell that success factor a private company that is making money out of making a test that is going to be delivered just one day in a year, it's going to be written, and it ha it's going to have a set of questions that are going to be randomly selected, and that's it. And then they think about it and say, hmm, maybe you're right. They said, yes, because part of your training as a teacher is actually evaluating the student, but evaluating the student as a whole. The whole point, I mean, the key word here is holistic evaluation. You know the child. You know if the child is ready or not. And, and of course, you're going to be honest. And you're going to be a professional. Of course, there's going to be bad apples everywhere, in every single profession. We have Chauvin right now being, you know, in, uh, in court because he killed a man. And he's a police officer. I will never say that all police officers are bad, but of course, that one was bad. Well, the teaching profession is the same thing. Same thing. You're going to have people that are not professionals that are going to try to cut corners and stuff. But the majority of teachers, and right now, let's, let's be clear, 
if you have a bachelor's degree and you're dedicating yourself to teaching, it's not because of the money that you're making. Okay? You can make more money in other professions. <laughs> so that's not the point. If you want to teach, it's because you love teaching. So for the most part, the big, gigantic majority of teachers are there because they love what they do. And what they want is to make sure that all these students are going, that, uh, that are successful in life. Be ready for the next grade level. I'm going to, you know, just deliver them to, like in my case right now, I'm in second grade. I'm a second grade teacher. I'm, I want to make sure that they are ready for the next level. That's my whole goal. I don't really want to care about these you know, small tests that they're going to have, and then if they pass, they pass. If they don't pass, no, 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 no. That doesn't mean that they are ready. If they pass the test, maybe they are not ready. Maybe if they don't pass the test, they are ready. But the only one that can tell is the teacher. Now, you're asking me about technology and this year. Well, in my case, I'm, I'm, I'm totally biased because I have a master's degree in, in uh, technology information. So I'm really enjoying my year <laughs> this year. I mean, I understand that there's a lot of teachers that will be pissed at me because they are having a hard time, and I totally understand. But for me, this year has been amazing. I'm, I'm so relaxed. I, I love technology, and I feel so comfortable around technology. And actually, I feel like my students these years are way more effective. I mean, my teaching is way more effective this year because we do have technology available, whereas before it was very difficult to get technology in the classroom. It was really difficult. I mean, everybody talks about, ah, you need to use technology, no, technology is the best, you have to use, you know, the visual or whatever, but then they don't provide you with the projectors, with the computers, with the tablets, whatever, or, or even in... Well, you think... We know that the second grade is probably one of the most important grade levels to pass. And what I mean by that is you, you are a gatekeeper, a second grade teacher. A lot of people don't know this. Some don't even understand it. But the second grade, a lot of people think it's the third grade, but it's the second grade. You guys are the gatekeepers to transition children on to the middle school. What they learn, how you set up second grade will either destroy their education or it will build it up. Talk a little bit more about that. And I know, and I know you've got technology in that piece as well, but just let the listeners know how vital the second grade teacher is to, to a child's secondary education success. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a mix of, of both things, okay? The best of both worlds. Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. I'm going to tell you why. Because in second grade, you transition a child between being able to decode to being able to understand what they're reading. And if they are not able to read in a way that their brains makes like an image in, in, in the brain of what you're reading, you will never learn how to study. So you will fail. So you are absolutely right. Second grade is... Very, very important. And actually, when you go to third grade and you have your first star test in reading and math, the problem is that the teachers are no longer have the time to keep teaching you how to understand what you're reading. So they have to teach you techniques to find the answer to a multiple choice question in a reading test of five selections. But they are not able to teach you how to understand what you're reading, how to enjoy what you're reading, and at the same time get the information you need from the text. 
And that is the problem. If you don't have a good second grade teacher, you, you're pretty much screwed <laughs> because you will never learn or it's going to be very difficult for you to learn because you're not going to have the time. That's the problem. And it's not that you're not going to be able to learn. It's that you're not going to have the time later on to learn how to study, learn how to read something at a pace and with the, with the skills that are needed because you need both hemispheres of, of your brain to do that. And you need those connections to be there. Uh, in order to read something and then, you know, raise your eyes and say, I understood what, that, what I read, and my brain right now can summarize the important information, main ideas, you know, supporting details, so I can recount what I read just by reading it once. That's how you can study biology when you want to become a doctor or when you want to become an engineer, and you have to learn all those formulas. You have to be able to read and learn. Imagine if you have to read like five times a book in your engineering career because it's the only way you can learn, you know, memorize what, what you have to put in the test. That would be very difficult, very challenging, and very few people will be able to do that. You need to be able to read something, understand it, and then say, hey, I can recount what I just read. I don't need to read it twice to do that. And technology... It's helping me this year. It's helping me do that. It's helping me pinpoint where are the problems because for me, technology is the best way to individualize instruction. I have in second grade, what you find is students that are like way high and students that are like way low. So you have a myriad of students there that students at kinder grade level and other students that are already in third grade or even fourth grade level of reading. Sometimes they learn too fast, but you have to keep the pace. That's the thing. Technology allows you to individualize instruction because each one of them will have their own path. With a book, there is what there is. It's very difficult for you to just base your teaching in a book that is already being written. Sometimes they give you like three versions of it, the, the ones for the advanced and the other ones for the, for the on-grade on level and the other ones for the below-grade level. But let's face it, technology helps much more to, to accomplish what, what you want, which is actually keep them growing, keep them learning, keep them being prepared for the next challenge that they are going to have. So there you have it, technology and second-grade important. So many people are going to be listening to this podcast. So many people are going to be sharing this podcast because what you just said is going to open the minds. It's going to awaken the minds of so many parents, so many students, so many teachers. And it's going to give us more focus. It's going to give us more insight. And you know me, I want to, I want to go to the next level with this. So let me pull back from... Um, from you and go to the Honorable Delma Bryan because she's been teaching like you. She's been she's she's taught and she was educated uh, in Spain and, and abroad and came and brought all that uh, information and resources back to the United States. Uh, but what's your experience, Miss Bryan? What's your experience <clears throat> as it relates to universal education? Where do you fit in? Where do you fit in as a teacher? 
I would have to say, we'll have to go back to the old guild system that we used to have. When you wanted to be a candle maker, you started out as an apprentice to the master. You had to go from apprentice to journeyman. From a journeyman, then you went into perfecting your skill to your master. So therefore, I would fit in in a three-prong system. And do we have people who would understand that in administration today? You have these, I have to do PLC, I have to do this, I, no, no, no. You need to think that whole system over. You need to put a three-pronged set of teachers together. The apprentice, the journeyman, and the master teacher. They can all learn and collaborate with each other at the three different levels. I bring a wealth of culture from my homeland. I'm Panamanian. I grew up in Panama. I studied in Panama before coming to the United States. I have that foundation. So therefore, there's a wealth of information that I can bring to the table to help the younger teachers understand how to navigate. My experiences overseas is another wealth of information where I would fit in. How do I relate to different cultures overseas? Because I have different cultures in my classroom. How do I relate to the child from El Salvador that is not the child from Guatemala, that is not the child from Mexico, that is not the child from Argentina, that is not the child from Cuba? Right there, I have five different cultures. Am I able to recognize that as a teacher? An apprentice teacher, a journeyman teacher? No, but I would be able to recognize that as a master teacher to help them along. I also will fit in, in dialogues, we need to sit down with different universities to get teachers into education. Quite a few teachers are getting ready to retire. Who will replace them? There's already a shortage of teachers. I can sit down also with different districts. We have to have comparable salaries. Yasin talked about, yes, we are not in education to become rich. We can make more money in other edge, but it's the passion that we have to educate this child while we're teaching. But they have to get real and start paying comparable salaries to attract the person who wanted to study engineering or the person who wanted to study law 
or the person who wanted to study whatever they wanted to study, hey, I can also look at becoming a teacher because I will be able to feed my family. I would not have to work two and three jobs to make ends meet to feed my family. We must think about the students that we're educating. We have to look at that child and think about their future. Where are we going in a global society? How are we going to get there and expand on what we have to do? That's where I would fit in, wearing different hats. Wow. Wow. That's it. I mean, let the church say amen. With that being said, we're out of time. But before we go, let's hear some takeaways from the night. Who wants to go first? I will go first. This is a topic that needs more discussion. This is not the first and last end all of this topic. There's a lot more to be said to get our educational system in the United States on the right track. We need to be cognizant of the fact that there's work to do and start planning, start looking at it. We had a Secretary of Education that was not thinking about education at all. Hopefully, our new Secretary of Education will make a change for us. This is what would be considered one of your hot topics. Thank you. Thank you. Yassine, what takeaway do you have for tonight? Well, uh, I'm going to end with a sentence that it's going to be harsh, but it needs to be heard. <laughs> In this country, there are two things that are considered businesses that shouldn't. One of them is health. The other one is education. As soon as you start not thinking about education as a business, as a way to make money, but as a way to prepare future generations for, you know, to be part of the world and continue leading the world like America is doing today, then you will have a good education system. That's how you start. You start thinking about education, not as a business, but as a way to prosper in the world as a country. Well, you heard it first. Tonight was another revolutionary night of the Impact of Education Leadership. This is episode 76. I'm your host, ID3, for Isaiah Jerome III. Tonight's panelists were the Honorable Ms. Delna Bryan and Mr. Yassine Portas. Good night.